Hi, this is Cal Quantrill, and you're listening to the East Village Times Podcast. In the West, SD across the chest, youth movement, really dope ex-prospects, Big Willie, leader of the young pups, they hating on us, watching you them jump up, we ain't care, we ain't scared of nobody, the outfield, mad skills, lottie dotty. Austin Hedges throwing out everybody, we at the ballpark, every game's a party, ignorance is bliss, so we never trip, if the pitching's up the bar, then watch out for the kids, EVT is out here broadcasting, EVT is out here podcasting. Question and answer, James and Patrick, ask them. Question and answer, James and Patrick, ask them. Padres EVT podcast. Padres EVT podcast. Greetings and welcome to the East Village Times podcast. I'm your host, James Clark, and with me, as always, is Patrick Brewer. What's going on, Patrick? How are you doing today? I am doing well, James. How about yourself? I am doing well. Excited uh, going over this Fangraphs list. It's uh, it's pretty exciting to see the amount of prospects that uh, are being recognized in this system. Uh, good times, right? I mean, we, we we always talk about the prospects, but you know, it's really it's becoming a reality, isn't it? Yeah, the uh, Padres are one of the last teams uh, to be ranked on Fangraphs. Uh, I think there's only about two or three teams left after them. So, um, yeah, a lot of great names. As we've I know we've talked about this to death in the past, but um, it's always good to see a new list and kind of have new talking points and be able to compare guys and see where everyone's at in terms of development. Um, so, yeah, it should be fun to talk about. Definitely. And, uh, you know, we're lucky enough to have a decent relationship with Eric Wagenhagen. Uh This will be his fourth time on our show. Uh, he's going to give us a little preview of the list. Uh, well, I guess it's not necessarily a preview since it's dropping uh, today on, on Thursday. But uh, we're going to talk about the list, talk about who made the names. Uh, there are 43 total players that made their list of uh, – prospects if you will or legit prospects and it's pretty exciting to see uh just the amount of young players that are on this list that are, are still teenagers i mean the growth is tremendous or the possibility of growth is tremendous with this unit so uh i don't know patrick give me your, your quick thoughts on, on just the the system in general yeah i mean we'll talk to eric more about the specifics of how they compile their lists um at fangrass but yeah, I mean, the system is so deep, and I mean, it's not that it's good at the top, but I mean, there's really 40 guys you can rank on there and say that they they're you know have potential big league um, futures, so no other team comes even close to having that many guys uh, up and down the system, and I mean, it's not just at the upper levels, not just at the lower levels, I mean, throughout the system, it's kind of guys, you know, everywhere, I mean, obviously most of it is, is 18, 19 year olds, even younger in the lower levels, but there is some guys, you know, crawling up through the, the system, you look at um, guys have already come up. Eric Lauer, Joey Lucchese, um, Luis Urias knocking on the door. Fran Reyes just came up. Um, you guys got got guys like Logan Allen in Double A, Cal Quantrill in Double A. Those guys will be up, you know, in the next year or two probably. Um, Jacob Nix, another guy who hasn't started a season yet. He's a guy who could kind of be up in that in that time frame too. So all these guys. I mean, Fernando Tatis Jr. is another guy you could probably mention that hopefully in the next two years he'll be up and playing regularly. Um, yeah, so it's just throughout the system, up and down. There's just talent at every. Every position. I mean, I know they say that you know uh, position players are a little bit weak compared to pitching in terms of guys that are going to be ready the next few years. But I mean, there is a lot of position player talent down at the lower levels. I mean, all these these signings from Cuba and um, Venezuela and 
you know, Latin America in general, and there's so many guys that they have 18, 19, 17-year-olds. Uh, these guys hopefully will um, contribute, you know, in the next – I mean, for most of them, they won't be up for you know, maybe four or five years. But, I mean, yeah, we hope that yeah. in four or five years, those guys will start trickling in. And we're hoping there's going to be waves and waves of talent. I mean, we already had, like, the first wave, kind of the second wave. So hoping for exactly. many more. Exactly. And guess who has the number seven pick in the next month's draft as well? So, you know, you can't – there's, there's going to be more talent added to the system in, in the next month or so. So it's it's pretty exciting to be a Padre fan, that's for sure. Uh, I know that the Major League team is a little maddening to watch. Their inconsistencies, uh, you know, taking three out of four from Pittsburgh was it was a was a great moment for the team this year. Uh, and then they quickly laid an egg the first game in Washington. I mean, that's just how this team is going to play. That's just the reality of the situation. But let's focus on the future and the fact that there is reinforcements coming and, and there will be young players coming up shortly. So uh, stay tuned, folks. Uh, Eric Longenhagen will be joining us shortly. And uh, we're going to be talking about some Padre young prospects. So stick with us. Uh, we'll be right back. All right, folks, welcome back. Uh, thank you for joining us on episode 96 of the East Village Times podcast. Uh, we are happy that Eric Longenhagen from Fangraphs is here and joining us uh, fresh off their list and their article, which will be out uh, Thursday on Fangraphs.com, uh, looking at some of the Padres' top prospects, and they have 43 of them ranked, which is pretty impressive. Eric, how are you doing today? Pretty good. How are you guys? Uh, doing well, doing well. Um First thing I'd, I'd, I'd like to talk about, you know, you're not a Padre fan. You have no affiliation to the team. Um, Patrick and I deal a lot with the fan base, and right now they seem to be frustrated with the major league play and the way the team's playing. Uh, Patrick and I always love to hype the prospects and talk about the future of this club. I, I'd love for you to sit down and, and kind of talk to these Padre fans a couple minutes and, and educate them about the future of the system and how well it looks and... and just kind of, I don't know, hype the team a little bit if you could. Sure, yeah. it's um, It's been the the place here in Arizona where I've been the most uh, the last two years just because of the, the depth of talent that is starting to come up through the very bottom of the system. Uh, and during that time, it's become clear that uh, this is probably the best farm system in baseball in terms of the number of dudes um, and there's an interesting there are a couple interesting like core groupings of guys throughout the system uh, that are sort of feeding up through the system in these like little core groups and you can see you can sort of predict the wave um, in which they're gonna like bubble to the big leagues over the next two three years probably um, and even if you account for just attrition, which is, it's going to happen. There's just so many guys, just not all of them are going to, to hit. Um, there's still a, a good big league team in there. So, um, there's strength in numbers and a handful of like super exciting guys, um, and a generally aggressive and interesting scouting process that's feeding the system constantly now that uh, this regime has been in place for a while. Um, and it's it's interesting, and uh, I know I'm excited by a lot of their young guys. And, you know, I know it's a lot of the focus on 
bad baseball in San Diego right now is caused because there's like it's the only game in town now, right? Like, yeah, yeah. There's not there wasn't there's not a Chargers draft class like talk about. Whoa, um, whoa, whoa, whoa! We don't use that word on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you can believe it. You can believe it. <laughs> but um, but yeah. So like, it's a tough time to be a San Diego sports fan in general right yeah. now. And it so is. It is. Sucks. But that's part of why there's so much focus on this group, which um, it's just going to be interesting. Like culturally now, baseball fans know more about these guys than ever before. Like Juan yes. Soto got standing ovation when he pinch hit yesterday and had a curtain. He had his first home run today. <laughs> like curtain call. Like people know who these guys are now, even and you guys especially San Diego fans because it's all you have to care about. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. You hit the nail on the head. Um, you know, most Padre fans want to talk about the fact that this team has not historically been able to cultivate or grow their talent. Um, give me a little bit about this new system, this new uh, scouting department, this new, you know, Chris Camp, Logan uh, Logan White, what, what, what their ability to kind of grow these players and how it's not the same as what this 40-something past years of of Padre fandom and what we've had to endure. I mean, we, we've seen our farm system ranked high and prospects come to the major leagues and turn out to be washed up within a couple of years. So give me a little bit about how this system should be able to cultivate these players. Not, not just the fact that they're there, but the fact that they should be able to grow under these, uh, these scouting directors and these, these guys that are helping uh, cultivate their game. Yeah. So the other core names that I'd, mix in with the with what you mentioned with uh, Kemp and White are Prowler himself, who really the scouting department and the, uh, the, the flavor of, of the organization sort of starts with him. He is as hands-on uh, a general manager as there is in baseball as far as scouting players himself is concerned. Uh, and I think that the, the culture starts with him and spreads through like Don Welke who came over from Texas with Preller and uh, and guys like David Post? Like these are these are guys who are out uh, big game hunting for loud tools at the at, at, on the amateur side and uh, at the lowest levels of the minor leagues on the pro side. It's an aggressive scouting organization. Uh, they have two individuals now here in Arizona dedicated to the complexes. Um, just scouting rookie ball here in extended spring training guys who have mm-hmm. only first set their uh, first set foot on American soil for like the first time. Uh, and they've got two guys seeing them. So like it is an aggressive scouting organization and that's part of how you identify Fernando Tatis jr. Uh, before he's played an affiliated baseball game for the white Sox, And it's how you identify Esther Ruiz uh, before he starts to pop, and like so, it is it is yielding dividends in our eyes, in the eyes of guys who couple cover this part of baseball, uh, and it just hasn't had time. You know, the downside is targeting guys like this. It's going to take three years. It's going to take four years uh, before they bear any major league fruit. So we're seeing it here in this little corner of baseball that we like to focus on. Uh, but the casual Padre fan does not see that yet. Um, so I kind of wanted to segue into uh, the list, but before I really talk too much about what players are on the list, um, 
I want I want you to kind of give the fans a rundown of um, kind of how the 2080 scouting scale works and kind of what it means to be, you know, a 40 future value or a 60 future value. Um, so could you give me a little thoughts on kind of how that scouting scale works for uh, any fan that doesn't really understand? Sure. So the 2080 scale is generally accepted, was created by Branch Rickey while he was the uh, general manager of the Dodgers, or perhaps it was before that even. Um and the idea behind it is so that uh, it's twofold, really. Half of it is you're using a scientific scale where 50 is average, big league average. So if I say a guy's a 50 hitter, it means like average across all big leaguers. And if I say he's a 50 defender uh, at third base, it means he's an average defensive third baseman. Um, I know that stuff is intuitive, but like essentially 50 is average and each 10 away from 50 and you go in integers of five uh, is a standard deviation away from the mean. And just because all populations uh, create a bell curve of some kind, that's it, it's applicable to baseball where you have a large population of people and their skills are, exist on a bell curve. Um, and then the other part of it is that it's supposed to be an easy way for scouts to communicate. If you haven't seen a player that I've seen, I can tell you if you trust my judgment that he is a 40 hitter with 60 raw power and 60 speed, and you have an idea of what that means even though you haven't seen that guy. And so those two, uh, the, the two reasons that the scouting scale exists and is still used, uh, those are the two of them, and sometimes they fight against one another um, technically because, like, in independent research I've done, the run tool bell curve is a little bit off of where you're supposed to evaluate it. Um, but ultimately, like, the most important part is that you're communicating with it. And in the future value stuff, uh, that's just sort of our Fangraphs brand of, like, saying, if you're a 60 future value, we essentially think your mean uh, outcome as a big leaguer is, like, an all-star. It's a three-win player. So we used the 2080 scale and just applied it to the uh, way the that war wins above replacement works out as far as like the bell curve is concerned too. So like a 50 big leaguer is worth two, two and a half wins above replacement annually because that's average. That's what the average big leaguer produces as far as war is concerned. So um, if I tell you Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is a 70 that means that on the wins above replacement bell curve, 70 is two full standard deviations away from the mean. It's like the top 5% of players in baseball. And if I tell you Vlad's a 70 future value, that's accounting for like what we think risk-wise and you know injury and proximity to the big leagues. Like all that stuff is factored into our future value grade. Uh, so for someone like Vlad Jr. to be a 70, Shohei Otani was a 70, like it's big league ready all-star future right now. Um, and so that's sort of how we put together and line up our lists and things like age factor into it and uh, injury risk. And, you know, it's all sort of baked into one number that tries to use war and the 20 to 80 scale as its guide. And it's sort of how we end up, it's how we end up with our lists uh, which generally look like everyone else's lists, but we think that this system that we have in place, as long as we stick to it, helps us find guys that are maybe being overlooked. And scouting the lower levels, uh, me here in Arizona, Kylie McDaniel in Florida, and seeing a lot of the guys in person as they come up helps us identify those guys as well. 
And so that's sort of how our list comes together. I must say that was a, a very nice summation. Um, <laughs> uh, jumping back to lists as kind of a broad overview, uh, Padres have 165 future value, uh, 355s, four or sorry, 550s, uh, about 1045s, and then about half the list of the 43 are uh, 40s. Um, so I kind of want to talk about kind of a broad overview of the fact that there's 43 guys on the list. I believe that's more than any other list I remember seeing on your site. So kind of what went into having that many guys on the list? I mean, is there a cutoff of uh, who you will and won't include? Kind of give me more thoughts on that. So for every team's list we go to until we run out of guys who are 40 future values or better. Mm-hmm. It's uh, And certain buckets of players fit into the different future values. Like the close to being ready relievers are all 40 future values. So sometimes the length of a team list can be inflated by how many arm strength dudes are in a system. Um, but generally, everyone who's a 40 future value or above uh, is someone who we think has a good chance to play some sort of big league role. Uh, and then your super long shots, your teenagers who, who you know, and it's, it's weighed against their tools. So like, you know, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is 18, but his tools are such that he's still a 40 or better. Uh, some of the guys at the lower levels have been that way. Uh, some of the Padres, like Gabriel Arias, um, has been that way since he's sort of arrived in the States. Other guys, it takes a little while for them to get that way. But it weighs upside and probability, and essentially everyone who we think has a strong chance of being a big leaguer or who is high risk with a high ceiling is a 40 or better. And the Padres just have, you know, they've fo- been focused on a rebuild now for a couple of years and have just been aggressively accumulating these guys, and that's why their list has more depth than anyone else that we've done. Yeah, the Padres farm system is definitely just stacked with with loads of talent. It's it's pretty amazing. Um, let's get into specific players. Um, I want to start off more towards the bottom. Someone who's kind of intrigued me, who's kind of uh, fallen on on most teams' lists, is Jorge Ona. Uh, give me your impression of of that young man. Uh, I know we're waiting for the power to kind of show up. He's kind of built like a a fire hydrant, if you will. He's he's really stout and 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 strong. Um, do you expect to see him? rise uh, in these lists or, or be able to become you know he's 21 still playing in a ball you know putting up respectable numbers but i know the padres probably envisioned a little more the, the padres certainly paid a lot for him uh give me your impression on, on jorge ona uh as a, as a baseball player yeah ona's a tank he's got interesting skills like he's definitely on the big league radar uh where the we sort of learn now uh, the there's like this curse of more information that befalls some of these guys. When Ono was coming out of Cuba, and you see, you know, the video, and you get your reports from from guys who are looking at him against what recently has been dwindling Cuban talent, and they're pretty strong. And you never know how much the Cuban guys are going to hit because the pitching disparity between what they're seeing in Cuba and then not seeing pitching for a long time after they've defected, and then they arrive here, and it's like, okay. You're 23, 24 years old. Like, please go hit it double-A, triple-A. And it's hard for a lot of these guys. So Onya comes over, and he's like 20, 21. And we start to get more information about him. And realistically, the the physical tools are more average, above average, than they are plus. Um, We learn pretty quickly that he's not a realistic fit defensively in center field. And so when you look at 50 and 55 hit and power – as opposed to 55-60, and you're in a corner, 
now you're tracking more like someone who's an average everyday player and you're in single A still. So you're still three years from the big leagues at that point. And if the realistic ceiling is, you know, a 50, an average everyday player, now you're going to get pushed down the list beneath some of the guys who either have more upside than that or guys who have similar upside and are closer to the big leagues. Uh, and so, yes, he was a sexy name. Yes, they paid a lot of money for him, and part of that was just influenced by the fact that they were kind of uh, pot-committed to that year's international class and were just paying a premium to accumulate as much talent as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, so some of these guys had artificially in- inflated bonuses. Uh, but, you know, if if we're looking at Onya through the lens of, hey, this is a college hitter because that's the age he's at, um, his tools probably have him in like the – second round like early second round mid second round which is like a 40 future value guy uh where like um yeah we have like some of the college outfielders evaluated pretty similarly to him in the upcoming draft so it's like that's a 40 future value guy and he's more famous than the typical 40 future value guy but that's how we have him evaluated still a chance to be an everyday big leaguer but it's not um we still think that he needs to be represented in this specific type of way I wanted to bounce down the list a bit. Um, at 37, you had Reggie Lawson. Um, I actually maybe thought he'd be a little higher. I know these lists are obviously very subjective, and it's kind of very hit or miss or where you stick a guy when they're all 40s. But I wanted to know if your thoughts on kind of his early season performance and if that changes in anything about his future profile to you. Yeah, so this is one of the problems with the lag between uh, the list and the article going up. Mm-hmm. Um, so... We evaluated everyone through like the first several weeks of spring training. I had two reports and one in-person look on loss in this spring, all with mechanical inconsistency and bad changeup. So as soon as you accept that, uh, you're, you're, the floor then is like, okay, if that stuff doesn't get fixed because it's not there now, then he's a reliever. He's a two-pitch reliever. Um, and because of the depth of the system, if you acknowledge that about a guy, then he's going to fall way down beneath, okay, well, who are these relievers who are closer to the bigs than Lawson and have similar stuff? Well, okay, well, now he needs to be behind those guys if we think he's a reliever. Um, over the last couple weeks, it sounds like Lawson has found a changeup. Um like literally as in the grip is changed and I'm hearing it's like a mid eighties power changeup that effectively works like a splitter. Um, but is a changeup. So there's definitely been some early season movement there. Uh, but he was as low as he was on the, you know, the preseason list essentially, uh, because of these concerns and like they still exist, but at least it, like he's moving. He's definitely someone who, uh, as we've touched these again over the last couple weeks to say, okay, like who's moving up and moving down. He and Paddock are the two guys who are definitely moving up when the team lists get updated in, in the coming weeks after the draft, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. No, we'll, we'll get into Paddock a little bit later, but I mean, it, it, you, it's, we're talking about a 19 year old kid. So I'm sure the assessments on him can change from, from, you know, week to week or month to month or season oh, to season, even for can, sure. I mean, with Lawson specifically, <laughs> When he was a high school underclassman, mm-hmm. he was like the man. Like yeah. as, a rising, as a rising high school senior, he was like 87, 89 early in the summer. 
and then 90-94 late with a hammer breaking ball and like the body and the athleticism and the delivery and like we were all going nuts like he was going to be the first high school righty off the board the following June and then the next spring his mechanics just came apart and then there was like weird injury stuff that we weren't sure was real or just like a way they were explaining away his struggles and then there's a reason he fell where he did in the draft and it has just sort of been you know push and pull with him over the last couple of years in a way that uh yeah you do have to step back at some point and be like he's 19 he can really spin it so like give him another five years to figure it out because you've seen how athletic he is and those are the guys who you bet on figuring it out and so yes he is absolutely the sort of arm that we should be patient with yeah for sure uh let's talk about someone who's kind of grouped with him was taken right around him and that's mason thompson uh, another young arm uh, recovering from or recovered from Tommy John surgery. He's battled a little bit of inconsistency in Fort Wayne. Uh, give me your impression on Thompson and whether or not he's going to be able to find the consistencies with his mechanics and stuff to be able to cruise up the uh, system like Padre fans. Uh, hopefully we'll see eventually. Yeah, I think there's another guy and who uh, is young and you know, the body is right and the arm action is fine and, uh, who also has is a year behind Lawson developmentally because he missed his senior year of high school with Tommy John. So uh, effectively, he's what nineteen twenty now, but developmentally is more like eighteen nineteen. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, this spring I was underwhelmed when I saw him mostly below nineties with some sink uh, and good breaking ball usage, but it didn't really have, like, bat-missing snap. And the changeup, in my opinion, plays better off of his fastball than his breaking ball does. Um, so, you know, I do think he's tracking fine. Again, like, there's we should be patient and just see what happens. This is a big athletic dude who used to throw really hard. Um, it's more close to fringe to average right now, and you just never know if it's going to come back or not. Uh, and obviously he's struggling pretty badly to start the year, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, realistically you're hoping he's number four, number five. I think that's a pretty good outcome. Uh, and there's a chance just, you know, based on what we've seen in the past with him, that there's more than that in there and perhaps considerably more. And you just kind of wait and see. Uh, I wanted to move up the list a bit. Um, you have Jason Rosario at 20 and, Tierso Ornelas at 11. I kind of wanted your thoughts on how those two guys compare and, um, Maybe, maybe what the differences are that make them kind of apart a little bit on the list and uh, how they're developing. Right, yeah. So realistically, they're a half grade uh, from one another that it mm-hmm. just looks – the gap looks bigger than it really is because of how many guys are on the list. Um, but Rosario is – I think he's the first 40, right? And um, uh, yes. so, yeah. So, um, yeah. So, like, the, the, the gap is pretty small. And considering that now we're learning – uh, like the one thing that you can't scout with the Latin American kids really over a large sample is the play discipline. And it's even difficult to do it in the AZL because there are so many uh, non-competitive pitches <laughs> in you know the lowest level of rookie ball. So once you get Rosario in full season ball and see like what's his walk rate so far this year, isn't it like 18%? <laughs> yeah, like that's crazy. With yeah. a 420 on base percent. <laughs> nice. So... Um, so we're learning that like this kid might have elite strike zone control Mm -hmm. and yeah, I think it's fair to question because there's not a whole lot of power there 
if that's going to hold up at upper levels when pitchers are just like, well, screw it, he's not going to hit it out, so I'm coming right after him. Uh, and that might impact it as he reaches the upper levels. But, yeah, he, like it's pretty remarkable. Uh, and he'll probably be a 45 on the team update. But with Ornelas, uh, the gap is just because of how enthused I am about him. When he first came over, he was advanced from an offensive perspective, like the swing and the – again, he's another guy who was great feel for the zone. Um, but he was like a chubby 16-year-old first-base-only kid. And in a year and a half, he has really remade uh, his body. And now he has a chance to be an above-average defensive corner outfielder. And there's more twitch, and there's a little bit more power there now because he's stronger than he was, even though he's thinner. And now you think, oh, there's another, there's room for five, ten more pounds of muscle, and that swing is still so pretty. And so now he's gone from... This is a first base only kid who's really going to have to hit to. Well, he continues to look like he's really going to hit, and the defensive uh, projection is like way better. So yeah, he has really moved up. And uh, if you're look, if you're combing the minor leagues for 17, 18 year old kids who might be middle of the order hitters one day, like this is the, this guy's in the team picture, and there's just it's it's a small it's a small list of guys. Um, so yeah, like I, I'm, I feel really good about Ornelas hitting and hitting for power and, uh, with Rosario, you know, the gap there is caused by, will he hit for power? Um, and we didn't have this information about his on base ability that we do now just after a month and a half of minor league ball. Yeah. I mean, or- Ornelas has such a beautiful swing. I mean, you, you've seen it yourself in person. I mean, it's, it's, it's nice and he's going to be able to be, at least uh, he's going to be able to at least contribute at the major league level at some point. We'll just have to wait and see uh, to what part. I mean, he's so young. Um, I'd love to talk about someone who you've seen a lot of, and that's Luis Patino. Uh, small in stature, right-handed pitcher, pretty high, uh, high, uh, high delivery or high motion of delivery. He he's very intense in, in his delivery and his motion. I was wondering if you think that he is going to be able to stick in the rotation or potentially be a reliever down the road? I know he's really young. It's kind of hard to tell, but uh, give me your initial thoughts on that young man. I think the guys who can do it at his size are the guys who are really athletic, and that's, you know, Lincecum and Marcus Stroman and guys like that. And uh, so, yeah, I think that uh, he can do it. Um, He's pretty remarkable. And, you know, you still have to kind of take a step back and – project on this stuff with uh, his size in mind. Um, if he were 6'2", 170 at his age and throwing 94, 97, then when he's 25, you're like, okay, well, he's 25 pounds heavier. He's probably throwing 100. Uh, mm-hmm. So 94, 97, I think, with his athleticism is sustainable uh, or at least like you know, he'll max out in that range. Maybe he sits through the five and touches the seven every fifth day, uh, which is so great. Uh, so, you know, maybe you don't project on his fastball very much moving forward, but it's still hard. And he can really spin the breaking ball. And you, you know, as he continues to use his changeup with his arm speed and athleticism, like that's going to come. That's the sort of stuff that you – that's what you project on based on the athleticism and the arm action. And, like, he, he's got that. That's how, why he throws 97. 
So, uh, yeah, I feel really good about him. Most kids his age with, like, his stuff, there's so much effort to the delivery or they're so physically mature that they're not on the 40 future value or above section of the list. They're in the honorable mentions, like these low-level guys to keep an eye on. Uh, but there's just so much going on there right now uh, that we felt compelled to stick him in the 40s. Uh, and, um, and yeah, I mean, realistically, he's still part of a high-risk demographic, which is why he's only a 40, but just the fact that he's on there is like we feel pretty good about him. Um, and I'm glad he's at Fort Wayne. He's at Fort Wayne earlier now than Michelle Baez was last year. Yeah, yeah. That's that's definitely something that's positive. <laughs> um, I want to talk about Buddy Reed, who I don't know if he suddenly learned how to hit, but, I mean, do you think that's for real? Do you think he's a guy who can actually sustain, uh, I mean, some sort of offensive profile? I mean, with his other tools, I feel like that would make him a major league caliber player, but it just remains to be seen if he can hit enough to – be a regular or just be some sort of bench piece. I mean, the Padres already have a kind of a few guys that kind of like. I mean, Travis Jankowski is a guy who's also hitting well in the big leagues, who kind of looks like a, you know, a bench piece fourth fourth outfielder type. But um, what are your thoughts on Buddy Reed and kind of the improvements he's made so far this year? Yeah, I I buy that he's better. He looked much better this spring. They've since they've got him from Florida. They've really been working on. It's clear that he's made a conscientious effort to use his speed to get on base in different ways because of this doubt that he would make a lot of contact. Uh, and so that is certainly folded into uh, his offensive profile already at, at this point, which I think is positive. And maybe at this point it's inflating his statistical performance. Uh, he's He can really fly. And low-level defenses are going to struggle to get him out if he's putting the ball in play. Uh, but the what I think what I think we shouldn't lose sight of, sight of, even if we are skeptical of how well he's hitting early on, is how great he is defensively. He's really good. Uh, all the pitchers love him. Like, they talk about him. When the kids aren't throwing on the backfields uh, during, like, spring training and stuff, they crowd around until they're, uh, like, as long as they have to, which is typically for, like, the first five or six innings. Um, and watch, you know, especially if Mackenzie Gore or whoever's throwing, like kids are back there with the scouts just watching and they talk because they're teenage kids and the pitchers love Buddy. He can really go get it. So I think there's going to be value just in that. I mean, you've seen, you know, um, obviously, you know, Billy Hamilton plays every day for a reason and I, I feel like, you know, Padres fans have been subject to guys who, uh, are only out there because they can, you know, they won't embarrass themselves defensively. Um, but, um, but yeah, I think he's going to be some kind of big leader. He, I guess he could play every day and like hit at the bottom of a lineup. I don't know if he's going to be much more than a 45 future value on our list ever, but like, I feel pretty confident that that's the type of player he'll be eventually. Yeah, no, I, I've had a lot of interaction with Buddy Reed and, I think a lot of people forget that he picked up the games late in life. He was a hockey player throughout high school. Uh, a switch hitter is also difficult, especially someone who's growing late and, and developing late. Um, I'd still like to see him take a little more walks, uh, or a little more, be a little more patient at the plate. But uh, it's definitely impressive seeing him able to drive the ball from both sides of the plate. I'm, I'm excited for his future for sure. Um, let's move into someone else who's kind of developed this year and. and uh, taking his game to the next level, and that's Josh Naylor, who's 
really caught fire in Double A in San Antonio. Uh, the P, the uh, most most people were waiting for the power to, to come from Naylor, and I believe it has arrived at the age of twenty. Uh, give me your impression of Naylor. Uh, the team has him in left field on occasion in uh, in the Texas League, which has been. I've seen some reports. I've seen some video of him in the outfield. It's been hit or miss. Uh, give me your impression of Naylor, and especially whether or not you think he will be able to stick in the outfield. He's been fascinating for a long time. Um, yeah. He. I've never liked Naylor. Uh, when I first saw him in high school, like I just don't pound the table for dudes who are bad first basemen. It's just so hard to clear that offensive bar because you're not only fighting with like you know the other first ba- baseman in the league and their prospects and stuff, but you're fighting with the aging elite hitting big leaguers. Like eventually, when Manny Machado is 36, he's still gonna hit like this and play first base like Hanley Ramirez is now. So you're fighting with aging Miguel Cabrera, who's moving off of third base, like for one of the 30 big league first base jobs. That's really hard. So he's always had the power. He's just, and remarkable back control. He's just swung at everything he could hit forever and not just the stuff he could really drive. Uh, And my term for this has been the Josh Vitter's disease uh, because the Cubs had a third baseman who had similar issues where it's like Vitter's has plus raw power and back control, but he swings at everything he can hit, and so he's grounding out a lot because they're just throwing it there. <laughs> so uh, that has been Naylor's issue, and it seems like the Padres have worked with him, and he has bought into a new approach to hitting, which is just him hunting stuff that he can really whack uh, instead of him like hitting like Juan Pierre used to, essentially. So... <laughs> Uh, so yeah, it's pretty interesting. I am buying in. I have never been a nailer guy, but like I am buying in. He's moving. Uh, it is it is working. The left field stuff is tough. Uh, one of the other reasons Nailer has been strange to evaluate is because scouts cannot agree as to whether or not he is athletic. Yeah, yeah. Is, I, I, I'm I'm on the athletic side. I've seen I, I've seen him move and do some stuff that's pretty impressive athletically. I mean, right. his body does need work, but you see the potential there. Right. So like he is a fat dude, <laughs> but, <laughs> but like Bartolo Colon is too. And he is a, he's a great athlete. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and David Wells and Kurt Schilling were great athletes. So like it can work. I think his footwork at first was terrible, yes. but like it's a straight line moving in space athlete. I think, yeah, there's a chance. Um, and obviously you got to try it right with Hosmer there and like, you have to, you have to try to figure it out and maybe yeah. you can hide some of his deficiencies with outfield positioning, which seems to be, you know, becoming more pervasive throughout baseball. Still waiting for yeah. that uh, DH to come to the uh, national league. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I guess there's always that hope you cross your fingers that that happens too. They do have a bargaining agreement coming up, so you never know. Um, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to kind of go into the top 10 now a little bit. Um, I think Cal Quantrill has been a pretty uh, hot topic, at least among Padres Twitter recently. Um, give me your thoughts on him and kind of how his stock has fallen over the last year and kind of where you see him now and going forward. So, yeah, this is another guy where it's sort of like the curse of more information. So the only thing about Quantrill that has backed up a little bit since 
he first came back. Um, and I guess that would have been what fall instructionally. Yeah. So like I was one of the first people in the public sector to like get in and see him, uh, that fall after he signed an instructional league. And, uh, the only way he's really backed up is just, there's just some mechanical stiffness, like just, and that's purely subjective. Like my evaluation is that he is not as loose and fluid now as he was when he was first like coming back from uh, surgery. And yeah, the fastball below has ticked down a little bit in my looks since then as well. Uh, but otherwise, the other stuff is just, you know, when he signed, it was 92-94, touch a six, it's straight. Uh, and this is a plus changeup. Maybe he has above average plus command at peak. It's not here now, but he hasn't pitched much because of surgery. And if the breaking ball matures to average, then you're still like, okay, this is a good number three number, like it's an above average big league starter, number three, number four type of guy. Um, and if you want to project a little more aggressively because, hey, this kid hasn't pitched in a while because of this surgery, then you get to do that too. Um, some scouts thought he'd have plus command. So like, you know, for me, he was a 55 or 60 future type uh, guy. So... In the last year, like, none of that stuff has developed. And, in fact, like, the command has sort of been frustrating at times. It certainly was when I saw him this spring, and there were times when he was aiming and sitting 86-88 just to try to throw a strike. Uh, and so when we were calling around to talk with front office people about our 100, and I'd bring Quantrill up, and I'd say, like, do you think, in general, the industry, like, the public side is kind of high on this guy? Because we kind of, we're starting to think, based on my looks, that he's more in, like, the 100 to 125 range than in, like, the middle of the top 100. And, uh, like, we were told, yes, that, that he was assessed that way late last year by scouts, uh, and that my looks this spring were in line with what the, uh, what, like, teams thought of him. And so we moved him down there. And we still think he's going to be a solid big league starter, just like a number four, not a number two or, you know, whatever else the high, high end of the projections coming out of Stanford were like. Yeah, it's it's tough. You know, another guy coming off Tommy, Tommy John surgery, uh, expectations were definitely high. I think Padre Twitter and Padre fans in general are a little upset with the fact that he's not progressing. But, you know, there's so many other players that are. Uh, let's talk about Chris Paddock, who has yet to allow a run uh, in his four in his four starts in uh, Lake Elsinore. Uh, Twenty two, another Tommy John uh, recipient. I, what can be said about this young man? I mean, the big Texan. Uh, he looks like the real deal. Give, give me some information on Paddock, if you will, Eric. Yeah, I saw his last extended spring training start before they sent him to Elsinore, and he was like two to four, touch ninety five, ninety six. Uh, in the zone, it was playing, it was it was uh, missing bats in the zone. Admittedly, you know, younger extended spring training bats, Texas Rangers uh, hitters. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's, it's a seven changeup. It's a plus-plus changeup. Yeah. And the breaking ball, again, you know, this is sort of similar. Like some of these guys, uh, this is not a whole lot. This is not far off from uh, Quantrill. Uh, and Paddock will be in our top 100 when we update it. Uh, actually one spot ahead of Michelle Baez on our tentative uh, update on the overall 100. Because they're at the same nice. level. Nice. And pitching. Um, better than, like, Baez's velo is actually down compared to last year. Yeah, yeah. 
But uh, but yeah, like when you adjust for that, then it's like okay, Paddock and Baez are essentially have the same fastball now. They're at the same level. Paddock's changeup is better, so he should you know, and their breaking stuff is similar. Uh, so they should be flipped on like the hundred, like they should line up like this. Uh, now that Paddock has shown he's healthy, but like when you look at, so if you line up Paddock and Quantrill, the difference is Paddock has a plus plus changeup instead of Quantrill's plus changeup, and like throws a little bit harder, and the angle that his fastball comes in at is harder to hit. Uh, and like that's it. That's the whole difference between the two of these guys. One of them is struggling, and it has become polarizing, and the other hasn't allowed an earned run this year. Uh, so like it's like subtle these little differences that like really make a huge huge impact um but yeah i think paddock's very good um i think internally that they think he's their second best pitching prospect third best pitching prospect i think behind like gore maybe maybe some people really were on lucchese in this in the system or or think highly of baez or morihone but like I think the org in general thinks Paddock deserves to be mentioned up there. And now that he's shown he's healthy, I think we do too. I mean, speaking of all these pitchers, uh, let's actually go back to Gore. And he mentioned a little bit, um, obviously he's having some blister issues this season. Um, how much concern do you think there should be on that front? I know blisters can be a, a sort of recurring thing. I mean, you look at Rich Hill and it seems like he has blisters uh, every other day. Um, so is that something that you're concerned about long-term with uh, Gore's health, uh, longevity uh, in the, into the future? I know a lot of guys have blister issues, and we only really think about the guys who have it consistently. Like, I'm with you. The fact that it's been like two or three times now for him over the last year, uh, especially with the pro baseball now, like he had some issues last summer too. Uh, like, I'm starting to get worried, but I think at the same time, there are as many guys who have issues for a little while and just, you know, develop a callus and it goes away as there are guys who, for whom it's a chronic thing. Uh, so I think there might be like a little bit of a, a bias built in. Like we're only, we only think of Josh Beckett and Rich Hill and these guys who had like consistent issues with it for a long time. And we start to worry, but I think everyone has issues. Um, and, uh, some of them are just better at correcting it than others. And I think the Padres just have to find the right answer for it. Um, you can't shut them down forever till they like, go away because like then you know a callus has to form essentially Mm -hmm. so it's tough i wouldn't sweat it just yet but it is something to be like you know like keep in mind that this is two years in a row now so um it's important that we remember that moving forward but i wouldn't start panicking he was absolutely electric in the spring like you know is this the best pitching prospect in baseball uh electric so um I wouldn't worry about it just yet because just because, you know, the upside is so high. Like, you have an ama- – like, he's amazing. So uh, don't sweat it. But, yeah, it's – like, let's keep tabs on it though. Mm-hmm. So uh, fast-forwarding a few years, I mean, if you're looking at 2020, 2021, I mean, do you see any of these guys being, like, you know, ace potential, top of the rotation? I know there's different definitions for what you see with that. I mean, it seems right. like on your list most of these guys are projecting out as – I mean, Gore and Baez are, like, threes with maybe more – uh, Morahone looks like a three or a four. Lucchese's probably like a four. Allen maybe a four. Uh, Paddock probably in that same range. So I mean, do you see any of these guys taking a step forward and being, you know, a number two or a number one in a rotation in the big leagues uh, in the yeah. four or five I years? I think Gore, Gore has the best chance of doing it, or at least being like in the big leagues at twenty and like having, uh, like 
15 years of, of being like a number three, you know, like 15 years of con- contending for an all-star roster spot. Um, and I guess that's, you know, at that point you kind of have to, a- have to ask yourself if that's like, that's basically an ace. Um, yeah, it's tough. I mean, how many aces do you think are in the big leagues right now? Like six? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, I'd say seven. <laughs> yeah, really. Tops. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I guess if if I'm going to pick one dude to do that, it's Gore. Not, I mean, in the system anyway. I, I guess I meant more like who do you see leading the rotation, I guess. Who do you think out of that crop is the best one? Uh-oh. Say in three years' time, who's or four years' time, who's the who's the man? Who's the opening day starter? If everybody hits, it goes Gore one, Espinoza two, because if that clicks, then holy, then like he's right there. Mm-hmm. And then after that, then yeah, it's probably like Paddock, um, Baez, and then some combination of like uh, Lucchese and Knicks. But yeah, so like I'd go Gore, and then if it's right when he comes back, then Espinoza's right there, uh, and then Paddock and Baez are the next two. With a chance that like Knicks gets into that group um, once he's healthy, uh, and Morihone along with him, I would say, yeah, that's a damn good rotation. Uh, nice. They're gonna need like that an eight-man a... rotation. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, yeah, let's talk about let's Go talk ahead. about someone who you, who you left off of that name of pitchers. And that's Logan Allen, who's been on fire. Sure. Uh, struck out twelve his last start. Uh, pitching well in San Antonio, ERA is just above three, six and one record. Um, give me your impression of that young man. He just turned twenty-one. Uh, pretty decent ceiling or, or floor, I guess I should say, not necessarily ceiling. But uh, give me your impression of Logan Allen and, and what you expect to see from him in the future. Yeah, he's uh, he's a lot like some of these other guys we've talked about right there with Quantrill. It's there's some stiffness, but it's. Uh, more sync to the fastball than Quantrill at comparable velocity. Changeup is uh, also plus. Breaking ball is pretty average, you know, and he's just from the left side. And, uh, yeah, 21 years old, like, we'd be talking about him if he were a college lefty as, like, a a late first-rounder, yeah. Nice, nice. The, the system is just is just full of of names like this, and it's, it's uh it'll be interesting to see which of them actually step up and 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 uh, and make the difference. Uh, so the major league draft is next month. The Padres are sitting there with the seventh uh, pick overall. Uh, I know you're definitely scouting some draft prospects, some names here and there. Give me some names Padre fans should probably look for uh, with that number seven pick. We have them on prep pitching right now. They've been hard yeah. to take down. Uh, again, like just because Preller is all over the place, a lot of who we uh, – a, a sizable part of the mock draft equation at Fangraphs is knowing which executives are where. Like we really uh, pursue that information aggressively. Um, but Preller is in so many places that it really doesn't matter like where he is. There's yeah. not really <laughs> – um, But we have them on prep pitching. Uh, Carter Stewart – High school righty from Florida, uh, mostly 91-94 with an elite curveball spin rate. You know, visually, this this it's comfortably plus to plus plus. Um, he hasn't been as consistent this spring as Matthew Libertor, uh, lefty from Mountain Ridge High School here in Arizona, who I've seen half a dozen times. Okay. Uh, Libby's been a little bit more consistent, uh, constantly 91-94, He'll show you 93, 97, 
uh, when he's really going. Another guy where the curveball is plus to plus plus. He added a slider halfway through this spring. Nice. Uh, that's already flashing average. Uh, mm-hmm. Changeup is already pretty consistently average. Um, body is better than Stewart. Uh, he, he's uh, he likes to do the Johnny Cueto like screw with hitters timing, quick pitch. Wow, okay, uh, that's pretty advanced for, for a young yeah. man. He doesn't always use it at the right times. Like there's some times where he'll do, you know, the first pitch of an inning, he'll quick pitch a kid. <laughs> so like, you know, the kid hasn't doesn't have timing to, you know, yeah, yeah, adjust to at that point. So like some of that stuff, the kid, you know, you have to talk to Libby and be like, hey, we need to talk about why you're doing these things and like, yes, yeah. But but yeah, like there's at least interest in him doing it, um, which is good. And then Ryan Weathers, David Weathers' kid. A high school lefty in Tennessee, body's a little more mature, a little less uh, traditional, um, but like he's one of those remarkable uh, athlete types. He's like, you know, he's a, he's a pudgy teenage lefty, but he's also like this excellent high school basketball player, and uh, basically has been up to ninety six with you know above average everything. It's you know this is the guy with the deep repertoire and sort of the old man game. Uh, at 17 already but the stuff is also very good so you know it doesn't look the part physically um but you know he's right there as from a stuff perspective with the top high school pitchers in the draft and is left-handed and has this pedigree and yeah we have them mostly with high school players they pick again at like 46 i think um and we kind of have them tied to prep players at that at that spot too uh, we think there's a non-zero chance that Weathers is like a slightly underslot target at seven for them, and because uh, we don't really have anybody else interested in him until the teens, like the mid to late teens. Uh, so you might be able to cut a, a little bit of a deal with Weathers at seven, and then hmm. sign another high upside prep kid at 46. Uh, there's not a whole lot of other nice. ways to manipulate their pool, just because like the Hosmer signing and stuff, like uh, they lost some some picks, so. Um, if they're going to get creative, we think that's how it gets done. But if we had to mock them, uh, someone right now would be Libby. Uh, Logan White was at each of his last two starts, so okay, uh, okay, feel pretty strongly that they they've stayed on him. He's been he was impressive till till the end. His high school season is now over, um, and uh, they were there to see it. So yeah, I think nice. that uh, that's who I I guess they'd be on, and that would add another fifty future value guy to their list. That's where we have. Uh, Libertor on our on our draft board. We've got a, a future 50, 50 future value on him, uh, so nice. he you know at least in merits consideration for our overall top one hundred uh, immediately. Awesome, awesome insight. Thank you, sir. Well, you just jumped my question. I was going to kind of ask you where he slotted in, so that that answered that question. Um, last real thing I wanted to talk about another pretty hot topic, I guess, in Padres Twitter especially. Uh, Fernando Tatis Jr., the, the number one prospect in the system. Um, he had a slow go there in the first month of the season. He's starting to heat up a bit. Um, I know there's been some talk about if the strikeouts are a concern, if, if we should be concerned, or if it's just a guy going through a little bit of a struggle. Um, I mean, he's 19 years old. He's playing in double A. So uh, obviously he's not Vladimir Guerrero Jr., but who is? Um, so what are your thoughts on him and kind of um, maybe a little bit on that struggle? Yeah, it's just a teenager at double A. It's, it's pretty simple. Um, yeah, I think it's – uh, he's, he's very good. 
<laughs> the swing and miss stuff, you know, I saw a little bit of it too last fall. The gap between high A and double A is is a pretty significant gap talent wise and from a pitching perspective, like uh like the intelligence of the double A pitchers and their pitch usage and stuff, like it is it's a pretty big gap. Uh that's where you like you don't send guys double A if they have command issues typically it just doesn't hitters at that point are too refined um like Yadier Alvarez this year like it just can't you just can't do it you can't succeed there if you if you don't command the hitters are too good um and so because of that like the the, the pitching talent there is uh position to exploit teenage um guys who have succeeded just because they're of how talented they are. I mean, he's basically skipped high A. So his gap is even the gap of pitching. He saw last year compared to this year is even bigger than if he were at high A last year. So I wouldn't sweat it. I think the fact that he has adjusted clearly, um, is a huge positive. It's a huge positive that he was able to struggle and bounce back. Um, some of the guys who succeed on talent alone up until the big leagues, uh, Byron Buxton, Dominic Brown, like sometimes it's harder to make the adjustment in the big leagues than if you are forced to learn how to do that uh, in the mid minors. So I almost think that that uh, the Padres are fortunate that it's happening now and not at tw- in 2021 when you have maybe a window to contend and now you know he's still trying to figure stuff out. You know, like that's this is better. This is better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, very, very well said. There's going to be growing pains with with a young teenage talent like that, and, and you know, we'll just have to have uh, Barry Bloom troll him more often and, and motivate him to <laughs> to to catch fire. Um, Eric, thank you so much for your time. I, I, you know, we could sit here and talk about prospects all sure. all day long, all 43 of them. Uh, apologies to uh, Luis Arias, Gabriel Arias, Hudson Potts, Hudson Potts uh, <laughs> fans. We, we didn't get to those guys, but. Uh, the list is so deep we could we could have been here all night so uh thank you again for your time especially so close to your your article and, and your list being dropped man sure, uh, appreciate appreciate it thank you thank you so much eric have a great day man thanks you too guys bye-bye uh all right there you go folks uh eric long and hanging of fan fan graphs giving us some uh inside information some valuable stuff uh, i love the draft uh stuff that he gave us uh, Logan White being at uh, Libertor's last two starts is, is definitely something very interesting. Um, give me your thoughts on, on what Eric uh, went over with this, Patrick. It was a pretty decent pod. Yeah, lots of information, definitely, as always. Um, Eric's always a great guest. Uh, for those who don't follow Eric, he's at Longenhagen on Twitter. That's L-O-N-G-E-N-H-A-G-E-N. Um, he's always got great information. I mean, he lives in Arizona, so he's... He's on the backfield pretty much every day, seeing seeing some of the guys we wish we could see. Um, so yeah, always great information from Eric. Um, definitely love the draft stuff. Um, some good information there. Um, yeah, so I'm hoping hoping Libby's the pick. That seems kind of like like a good a good probability at this point if he's on the board. So that would definitely be uh, cool to see. Definitely. Uh, thank you so much, folks, for uh, giving us a listen to this uh, podcast. This is episode 96 of the East Village Times podcast. Uh, I think we're good to go, Patrick, if you want to take us out of here. Yeah, you can find us on Podbean. That's where we're hosted. Um, anywhere you find podcasts, we'll be there. Uh, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, um, anywhere at all. If, for any reason you guys can't find us somewhere, let me know. We can 
we can work that out. Uh, we're on Twitter at EBT Podcast. Um, I'm at Patrick Brewer 93. James is at EBT underscore news at EBT underscore J Clark. Uh, we're the East Village Times podcast. Stay tuned for more episodes. Uh, we'll be talking more draft in the next uh, week or so as the draft gets closer. Uh, stay tuned for that. And uh, East Village Times podcast signing out. EBT is out here broadcasting. EBT is out here podcasting. Question and answer, James and Patrick, ask them. Question and answer, James and Patrick, ask them. Padres EBT podcast. Padres EBT podcast.